Hello, my name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you with us today. Well, we're going to continue our series on the Beatitudes. And um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 8. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Lord, help us as we study. There are three things upon which I wish to speak regarding this passage. One, is purity achievable or attainable? Two, is it maintainable? And three, what is its benefit? Let's talk about, is it achievable, attainable? In order to understand the concept of purity, you've got to understand why Jesus was trying to communicate this to a group of people. Purity is that, in in the Greek, which it means without mixture. There's no no mix-up in what is coming out or what is put in. Whatever is there is only it. There's nothing else. And when you looked at the agendas that the Israelites had for how they needed to deal with their oppressors, whether it be Rome or whether it be Herod, who found himself caught between two loyalties, giving that which needed to be given to the Israelites and then allegiance to Rome at the same time. And so he really could not be faithful to Israel. There was impurity there in their authority structure, the leaders that were governing over Israel. And their response, meaning Israel's response to the authority structures. Should we try an overthrow? Should there be an insurrection? How do we deal with those who are with us but not really with us? Meaning Israelites who are more aligned with the Jews, excuse me, with the Romans than they are the Jews, the tax collectors. Some Roman soldiers who were Jewish. And there were as many varied opinions as to how a response needed to be given to to all of their issues in their land. But worship, the pure worship of God, was never in the discussion. Everybody had an agenda. It's an, it, it was one of these environments where everybody had an answer, but none of the answers were as right as they should be. And everybody's got an answer to fix things. And because they may not come up with the perfect answer, it doesn't mean that their answer won't fix it better than it's broken. And so there are answers that will work, but are they best? And Jesus was trying to come and give the best solutions possible for man's remedy, an order of how the kingdom ought to work in somebody's life at the optimum level, not at the base level, not at the level of mediocrity, but at the optimum level. If you want to make great decisions on behalf of people and that please God, have a pure heart before you do it. Absolutely critical. Because if your heart is impure, the stuff that comes out of it won't be either. And your decisions might be better 
then whatever is broken, meaning your solution to fix whatever is wrong, might be better than keeping it broken, but it won't be the best, which means it won't honor God, nor will it serve people well. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will be able to see God. Purity was a prerequisite before the people of Israel could see God in their circumstances. It's not that he wasn't there. He was in the person of Jesus. They, most of them, didn't recognize it, though he was there, because their hearts were impure. Is God in your circumstances and you don't even know it? It's not that he doesn't want to reveal himself to you. It's that he has requirements upon his revelation. And some of those requirements demand that the person to whom he he wants to reveal himself be right before he does it. Purity is a requirement. Well, the problem is, since purity is a requirement, there are none of us who are right. That's That's the issue. Our hearts are really messed up. We're not talking about just developing good behavior. Changing our practices and habit patterns. Outward confirmation. We're talking about something in the the inside. When Jeremiah says it like this, we got an issue. He says in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. (laughs) It's sick and beyond cure. Who can know it? That's the way Jeremiah, speaking as a prophet from God, describes the human heart. Now, most of us would never consider our heart that way because we think we have a good heart. We don't have any heart issues. But our hearts are inclined toward evil and selfishness. Even even the stuff we do good, the stuff we we serve and and, and sacrifice to, to benefit mankind without God, can be self-serving and usually is to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And so though we are giving ourselves to other people, the benefit feels better to us than that which we are giving to the folks. Real worship is when you give it out and you receive nothing back. Very few people ever get to that point. There's always some reciprocal benefit coming to the person who gives that, that's the reason they want to give. They feel good about their efforts. Our hearts are really messed up. And God wants us to know that before we can ever come to the, 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 the before we can ever get to the place where we have the ability to benefit from everything God desires us to have, our hearts need to be right. And we can't get them right until we know how wrong they are. Because there's no use in giving a solution if you don't know the problem. And the problem is, our hearts are wicked. In fact, the, the word there, deceitful, in the Hebrew, is, it means this. The only way you can find it is by its footprints. Meaning it's hiding someplace. And you got to track it by learning what it did in the past to be able to tell what it might do in the future. That's the implication. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but that's the implication of what it means to be deceitful. 
that which is hiding and must be tracked down. Your heart is hiding most of the time. You don't want to reveal it to anybody because you know at some point it's really messed up. Though you don't think it's as messed up as most, nor do you think it's as messed up as you 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 you, you might think it needs to be to disqualify you from, from being in, in, in uh, the, the pleasure of God. But you know it's messed up. And Jeremiah defines it clearly. Deceitfully wicked above all else. It's sick and beyond cure. Who can know it? You don't know your own heart. I looked up this week all the songs that talk about following your heart. (laughs) And there are so many. I just lost count after about 25 that have been written in the past 25 years. I, I, just, I just said, wow. The mantra of our society is follow your heart. Don't follow that thing. Don't do that. Don't follow your heart. It will lead you astray 99.9% of the time. Don't follow your heart. Proverbs 20, verse 9, says, Who can say I have cleansed my heart and that I am pure from my sin? Can anybody say that? Nobody can. We can't cleanse our own heart and we can't purify ourselves from our own sin. Nobody can say it. Our hearts are messed up. So if our hearts are messed up, what is the remedy? How do we develop this purity by which we are able to see God? Oh, God has an answer. He has an answer. And this is a beautiful part of God's God's plan. When he recognizes a problem, his desire is to fix it. And he wants to fix you. He loves you and cares for you and doesn't want you to stay the same way. He wants to deliver you from you so you can become a new version of you. You you know, we we do it all the time. About every three or four months, aren't you getting an update of your software system on your computer, on your phone, on your pads? Something's coming to let you know that what worked before doesn't work as well as it should now because things have changed and you are constantly coming into contact with new versions of life. Things are not the same as they were six months ago. People change. Circumstances change. Uh, The world changes. And you are required to address it in a new way. You need an upgrade. And God wants to upgrade you on a regular basis. That's why you need to stay in prayer need to get in your Bible. You need to read your Bible on a regular basis so you can get in the spot where the download can happen and you can get your Wi-Fi working so that you can receive that which God wants to give you. So you can face the new challenges today that weren't there yesterday. Continue to upgrade. God has a solution to this problem. In Hebrews chapter 9, Verse 14, 13 and 14, he, he talks about how the blood of bulls and, and goats in the Old Testament was God's remedy to kind of push back the sin issue. And, and even though the blood of bulls and goats was innocent and in that those animals had committed no sin, it was not righteous. And therefore, he says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, which he offered without blemish, Begin the process of sanctifying your conscience so that you might serve the living God. How much more? See, the blood of Jesus doesn't just forgive you, though it does. Without without the, the shedding of blood, 
Leviticus, I think it's 17, 11, there is no remission of sin. God wants to forgive you. And that's why he sent his son. That there might be the, the, the obliteration of everything you've done wrong and the amelioration of all the consequences. You never have to suffer the, 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 the consequences of your misdeeds anymore. That is a great thing. And the blood of Christ cleanses you from your sin. It doesn't just cover it. It cleanses you from it. So that the stain of it is not on your life anymore. That's the beauty of it. And, and, and even though you remember it, God chooses not to. And so now when you present yourself before people, it's no longer a, a mask that you have to put on so that they don't see your sin. You are actually a brand new person who is no longer accountable for what you did because you fixed it with repentance, you fixed it with restitution, and God forgave you and wiped it out as if it did not exist. Oh, that's a good thing, and you need to rejoice about that. That's the way he treats our sin. The blood of Christ cleanses us. The divine eraser is the, is the blood of Jesus that takes all of our wrongdoing and obliterates it. Amazing! Yet, that's not all it does. It deals with the inward motivation that caused all this junk. The conscience cleanses our conscience. Now, there are three or four topics that kind of bleed into one another in the Bible. And even though they are definable by words, sometimes they overlap like concentric circles in their influence. When you're talking about the motivations of man, you've got the heart, You've got the mind, you've got the soul, and you have the conscience. These four things work together in order to produce either a man who's really messed up or a man who isn't. And the conscience is kind of the bridge between the heart and the soul. The soul are the, the will and the emotions of a man. The heart is the being of a man. The mind are the thoughts of a man. But the conscience is the bridge of the heart to the soul so that good decisions can be made. The conscience is that which the Holy Spirit uses to give information about what is right and wrong so it can feed the right information to your soul so you can make a good decision with your mind. And your being, the heart, can, can push it across the bridge to the soul. Now, I know I'm being really technical, and it actually doesn't work like that if you draw it up in a diagram. But that's kind of how it fits. And the conscience is so important to our well-being. It is the tool that God uses to convict us of our sin. If you've done something wrong, feeling guilty about it is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. I am glad for guilt. Not for condemnation. Guilt. Guilt that can be fixed. And, and guilt, the kind of guilt that can, can, that can be alleviated from your life as a result of doing the proper things that initiated, that, that, that doing the proper things to address the thing that initiated the guilt. Those things are good, but, but the guilt itself helps us understand that what we are doing or what we did was wrong. It's kind of like pain to the body. You stick your hand in a fire once, <laughs> once, because it hurts so bad, you'll never do it again. 
If the pain was not there, you would not know that it was wrong. Maybe you would if you started smelling singed flesh. That might help. But the pain gets to you before that ever happens so that that doesn't happen. Guilt is that which, which prompts our soul. Don't do that. Don't go there. Stop that. It is the pain of doing wrong. But God has a remedy for our guilt, and that's his blood. And, and, and when we are known to be guilty in our conscience, he not only forgives our sin, but he, he takes his blood and cleanses our conscience so that our conscience no longer is burdened with our guilt. And we no longer have to feel downtrodden and, and, and depressed and crestfallen as a result of the things we've done wrong. God alleviates all that. He lifts that burden from us. And our conscience can be clean now. That's why I can stand before you or sit. <laughs> I can sit before you with confidence. Not because I have lived perfectly. I have not. I am as human as the next guy. I have blown it more times than I want to admit. And sometimes when I think about it, I wished I had made better decisions because I can still feel the pain of what I did back then. But I know this one thing by the blood of Christ. I'm not guilty. And so I can stand with confidence and preach this gospel to you because I know I am not guilty. Not because I didn't do something wrong. But because I repented of my wrongdoing, he forgave me and cleansed my conscience so that now I can preach his gospel with confidence. Oh, God has a remedy for the heart that's messed up. It's called his blood. And he wants to use our conscience to be that, which is the bridge between our soul and our heart, to go back and forth. Like today, you're getting information in your mind about how to deal with guilt. And that information needs to go from your mind, through your soul. Don't let it just stay there, but into your heart so that you can receive the word as a part of your being. And let it cross over through your conscience. And as it does, all of a sudden you will feel this lifting of the, of the incredible weight that's been on your life. Now... Some of you still carry weight because you aren't ready to repent. And the weight is there to remind you that you need to do so. That is the guilt that should remain because you need to change. But when you repent, poof, lifting happens. And no longer do you have to carry that burden. Oh, it's a beautiful thing, the blood of Christ. And now, as a result of being cleansed, it helps you do good works. You know, all you want to do is do right. So, so is, is purity attainable? Absolutely. Is, is it maintainable? Well, yes. You have to be passionate about your relationship with God. You have to make sure that you are constantly in relationship with people. And you've got to you got to be a good guardian of your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. We're called to do that. There's not a part of us that doesn't need to love him. 
And the word there for love is agape. An unconditional surrender of my heart to him for his benefit. An unconditional surrender of my soul to him for his benefit. An unconditional surrender of my mind to him for his benefit. God wants us to love him with our mind, with our thoughts. He wants you to be smart. He wants you to figure out things that are hard to figure out. And if we will do these things, we will find ourselves maintaining our purity as we are passionate about loving him. It's not about just being released from our past and all of our wrongdoing. It's about replacing it with something else. It's not about just not doing wrong anymore. It's now about doing right. Let's fill the bottle with good water. Good water. A passion for Jesus every day to see his will reflected in our lives on a regular basis. Being in his word, doing his will, and doing it his way are the three ways we can affirm and express our passion to him practically. Staying in his word, doing his will, not our own, not allowing our will to be above his, but anytime our will conflicts with his will, we choose his will, and doing things his way, choosing the highest path, the best process, doing things his way to honor him, not just to get the job done, but to honor him. These allow for purity to reign in our soul. Secondly, we need to be in relationship with one another. And I, I don't know that I understand how this benefit works, but I, but I understand that it does. The, the scripture I'm about to share with you is really interesting. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. Now, one thing I do know, that I do not need another person to absolve me from my sin. It's nice when somebody confirms what Jesus has already done for me, but Jesus is the only one that can forgive me of my wrongdoing because my sin was primarily against him. I may have hurt other people, but it was primarily against him. So he is the only one that can offer me legitimate forgiveness. Anybody else who confirms that is simply his mouthpiece about what he has already willed. So I really don't need somebody else to give me forgiveness from God. But I do know this, that when I walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning my life is transparent, Pastor Jim, Pastor Duke, my brothers that I walk with in the Every Nation ministry, other men, Tim Say, who will be here at the end of the month, these are men that I, I share my life with. And I'm transparent, and they know everything that's good, everything that's bad. They understand my weaknesses, my flaws. And, and there's something about that openness and that transparency of walking in the light as he is in the light that allows me to feel the forgiveness when I sense their acceptance of me even in the midst of my flaws. Listen, we are all emissaries of his will in the earth. That's what we're supposed to be. The reason he has us dwell with one another so that we can understand who he is better by how you are to somebody else. I understand my God better when I see how my brothers respond to me in my weakness, how merciful they are, yet truthful. How they combine prayer with accountability. 
these things help me understand how best to work with my God. And every time I come out of a moment of transparency with my brothers, I feel more encouraged, not less. And I feel more forgiven. Though I am not, I feel it. I feel the blood of Christ pouring over my life. And purity seems to reign with greater strength than if I had kept it just between me and Jesus. I don't know how to describe it, but I get stronger as a result of of walking with my brothers like this. Rather than walking with them in such a way as that we never share the deep things and we are just surface in our orientation. What is that? The world does that. The body ought to be that which begins the process and completes it of sharing each other's lives together as if we really are a part of one another, like a body ought to be. There's nothing about my hand that my head doesn't know. (laughs) There's nothing about my toes that my head doesn't know. And there's a lot that my toes do that my hand may not be involved with, but my head tells my hand. Go when you stub that little pinky toe and give comfort to the pinky. My head can't, but my hand can. So my head tells my hand, get the job done. This is the way the body ought to function. It doesn't mean that everybody can do everything. But if different parts know different things and they have different expertise, they can help the body care for one another. Oh, I need this kind of strength in my life. If you don't have it, you're missing out on a strength that can help maintain your purity. And then lastly, you've got to be a guard. You've got to be a watchdog. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the springs, some versions say, of life. What's flowing out of your heart? It's a dangerous question, and I really don't want you to answer it. What is flowing out of your heart? Is it a good drink for anybody else? When they take a sip, do they go, or when they drink, Can I have another glass? I've never tasted water like this. Purity allows for people to want to just hang around and drink from your life. But you can only have something flow from you that's in you. And so you've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your ear gates. You have to guard your eye gates. You've got to guard your thought gates you can't let stuff in that shouldn't be there whether it be gossip malice somebody's done something to you and all of a sudden you are now angry so angry that things are growing on the inside of you that should not bitterness these are things that cannot take root in our heart and soul we've got to guard it we have to guard what we hear about one another now I sit in the position of somebody who is a target and I don't mind that. I, 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 I chose this life when God chose me. So I'm not complaining a bit. But I know what it's like to be in this spot and say some controversial things sometimes. And then people go outside and start talking about you. Some good, some bad. 
How do you listen? And I'm not trying to defend myself. No, no, no. I'm just asking. Some of the controversy, some of the criticism may be justified. I surely am not perfect in my articulation. But how do you listen? Do you listen in some way of, of discernment and parsing out the, the, the bad and keeping the good? How do you do that? How do you listen about somebody else? Gossip. What do you do when somebody offends you? See, you can't let things disturb the purity of your heart because this is a sanctuary. You are the temple of the living God. God needs to dwell on the inside of you and there needs to be no competitor. You don't allow stuff that would come and vie for the throne. You have to be him or her who is vigilant. And fights at the gates of your life to make sure that Christ is seated there regularly and never unseated. All of his principles, all of his word, his highest and best needs to be your standard on a regular basis. God help you guard this thing. It's the most precious possession you've got is your heart. Guard it. Because God wants stuff to come out of you that's good. Now, when you do all this, in maintaining hope, purity's benefit is beautiful. All of a sudden, something happens to your eyes. Purity helps your eyes. I, John says it like this. He says in 1 John uh, chapter 3, we, we don't know what we're going to be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So whenever that ultimate comes, we don't know what it's going to be like for us, but we do know that when he appears, we're going to be like him. Our bodies are going to be changed like that. We're talking about the ultimate, whenever the second coming is. Changed like that. We're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So something about the seeing process changes you. But the operative phrase for the whole passage is this. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hmm. So purity directly relates to how you see. Meaning if you purify yourself now, then there will be an opportunity for you to see something that allows you to become more like him. Purity opens your eyes. It opens your eyes not just for his second coming, but it opens your eyes for his coming to you today. See, God wants to come to you today. In fact, God is probably with you when you commute on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. But you just don't see it. God is with you in your most dire circumstances. Very rarely do people ever see God in the valley of the shadow of death. But he said, he's with us. All we see is grief. All we see is trouble. All we sense is fear. But he says he's with us. Your rod and your staff, Psalm 23, they comfort us. So if he is with us through our most difficult times, how come it's not evident to us? Primarily because our hearts aren't pure. Filled with fear, insecurity, looking at the wrong thing, not covering our eye gates, not covering our ear gates, not having the word on the inside of us. We're letting every other stimuli 
inform us about how we need to be and, our, and, and, and prompt us on our, our response. Purity says this. Oh, 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 I know this is bad. Oh, this looks horrible. I don't know if the natural says I'm not going to make it out of this. But I know this. My God is with me. I see him in my messed up marriage. I see him in my child that is rebellious. I see him in my employment where it feels like I'm about to get laid off. I see him in my health, which doesn't feel much like health right now. But I see him in my health. When your heart is pure, you can see him Blessed are those who are pure of heart, pure of heart, for they shall see God. I don't know that a people needed to see God any more than the Israelites needed to see God in their day. <laughs> and the interesting thing is this. He was right there. Jesus incarnate. God in the flesh, right there. And 99% of the people missed it. They even put him on a cross. God's in your midst. He's walking with you. But you probably don't see it because your heart isn't right. Let the blood of Jesus clear your conscience. Begin to maintain the things. Begin the process of maintenance so that purity can be that which sits on, governs your soul, if you will, with the authority of Christ. And purity is the residual effect of his authority in your life. Let that be the case. And as a result, you will see him. Let's pray.